Pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers, get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl have you been begging me for a book for years. Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding, the press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book but our book. I realised after my talks around the world women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away but to have a tangible source to have forever and this is it. This is refreshing never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. Hello, Tribers. Welcome back to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. With me today, I have Elise Kennedy. She is a therapist and the owner of Moving Parts Psychotherapy. She specializes in helping people process unresolved trauma. So she is a perfect person, the expert to have on today to discuss conflict. Why do arguments arise? Do we have argument styles, which as Elise and I discuss, we do. We also explored the language and vocabulary we should and shouldn't be using approaching and during arguments, how to sit down with your partner or even a friend and approach an argument or a dispute in a different way. We really dive in deep here and I can't wait to get your thoughts. Hi, Elise. Thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I'm really looking forward to diving into this particular topic today. Everyone argues. Why do arguments arise? Because people can disagree without arguing. So what does that journey look like? When and why does it go from being maybe a conversation or a debate to becoming a full-on argument? Well, my view of arguments comes from a trauma perspective since I'm a trauma therapist. And so I view it as when arguments arise, it's because we're getting triggered by something. So humans are very sensitive to how they're taking in other humans. We are so sensitive to how we're taking in the tiniest movements on somebody's face, the tiniest shift in their voice, um, the words that they're saying. And when an argument arises, the argument is coming from both people or if it's arising between more than two people, uh, it's coming from both of their histories, uh, the topic at hand, and what they're taking in from uh, what they're noticing in tone of voice and facial facial features. 
um, and so many other factors. Plus, if anything has happened earlier in the day that could be affecting how somebody is feeling, that can also lead to an argument. Um, so that's sort of my view of why uh, talking points can shift into the space of being an argument. Mm-hmm. How would you describe conflict in a relationship, if any different to one argument? You're also bringing in the history between those two people. So if I've had um, an argument in the past with my partner and he's bringing up a certain topic to me, even if he's bringing it in in a nicer way this time around, if we've had an argument about it in the past, that'll inform how I'm responding to it this time. And so um, I may be triggered just from the subject matter and shift it to an argument. So if anything has occurred in the past several days between partners, that is also coming into uh, conflict or argument between partners. So if I am extra sensitive to my partner, even if he's bringing up something that isn't necessarily something that would start a conflict or argument, I might turn it into one or respond in a more hasty way than I would if I'm not feeling sensitive toward him. And so then it could shift into a conflict or argument. Mm -hmm. Are there different types of arguments? There are arguments that come from a place of justice seeking. So when an argument comes from a place of justice seeking, it's when I'm standing up for myself or for somebody else. I think in the past few years, especially with conflicts of social justice, we've seen a lot of arguments that are very much justice seeking where it can feel like for both parties, there is no in between. There is a clear right and a clear wrong. And we are going to fight for Uh, the side that we are on until the bitter end, because there feels like there's no in-between space. The other type of arguments that can arise are arguments that come from a place of having our needs not be met. Um, So that more often we see in the case of relationships, whether it's friendship, uh, a relationship with family, or a romantic relationship. when my needs are not being met, I am going to be a lot more sensitive to the relationships around me in general. Um, And in the case of needs not being met, that's a lot more when we might see the argument feel like it's about one thing, but really underneath it's that I'm not having a need met. So those are the big, the two big types of arguments that we typically see. Do our attachment styles determine how we navigate or approach conflict? Absolutely. And as an attachment nerd, I love this question. Um, So when we're talking about attachment styles, 
Um, I think most of your listeners are somewhat informed on them, but just to reiterate, there's secure attachment, anxious attachment, disorganized attachment. Um, And so when we're talking about folks who are securely attached, a lot more often uh, securely attached folks or those who tend toward secure attachment are able to hold uh, what's mine in an argument and what's the other person's in an argument. So they don't as much take on uh, somebody else's stuff. So we're a lot more able to stay firm and clear in an argument and not be as triggered. Um, For those who are anxiously attached, a lot more often we are tending toward uh, feeling like it's our fault in an argument um, and often even avoiding conflict altogether. Um, So for anxiously attached folks, uh, like if we get a vague text message that feels like somebody else could be possibly mad at us, we will take that on as our own. Um, For those who are more tending towards disorganized attachment, uh, they might be more, uh, more likely to be triggered in an argument or even the argument starters. What does conflict with a narcissist look like? So for those uh, who have narcissistic personality traits, what we see is that they are not able to take ownership of their own stuff. Um, And so because of what has happened in their past, they are a lot more likely to to have like sort of a grandiose um, aura about them. Um, And so with a narcissist, you'll find uh, when you're having an argument with them, uh, they will push everything onto you and make it feel like it's your fault. Even uh, we hear the term gaslighting a lot. Um, That's often what happens in an argument with a narcissist. And so sometimes it can feel like there's no point in arguing because they're not going to see themselves as wrong anyways. Mm -hmm. And that's often a self-protective mechanism for those who have narcissistic personality traits. Can you explain in a little more detail how it is a form of almost protection, a narcissist replying that way? Sure. So for narcissistic traits, uh, often it comes as a trauma response. So most folks that display narcissistic traits have experienced some sort of trauma in their past where they have had to develop sort of a grandiose persona, whereas some trauma survivors, it shrinks us or makes us take on people pleasing. Uh, For narcissists, it's almost the opposite. So for a narcissist, deep down, there are parts of themselves that 
that know that they've been hurt. Um, and as a self-protective mechanism to make sure that they're not hurt again, they sort of form this outer armor. Um, and if somebody else is saying I'm wrong, that's the thing that gets too close to the trauma that they've experienced before. Mm. Are there certain types of people who find pleasure in arguing? Is that a trauma, a trauma response as well? I definitely think so. Um, so for some folks, uh, they like to get a rise out of people. And sometimes that can be sort of an intention seeking trauma response. Um, or they're kind of like quick to be prickly, like they always have to be ready to fight. Um, and so sometimes what we see with trauma survivors who experienced a lot of argument growing up, whether it was arguments coming towards them or arguments around them, like they lived in a volatile household, um, it can sort of be a way of reenacting the trauma to get a rise out of other people and be the starter of arguments. Um, and if we look at that in the sense of trauma, um, the trauma reenactment of arguing can be a way of attempting to complete the trauma that was experienced in their past. So they may be looking to argue to win the fight because they didn't when they experienced the trauma or looking for a way to stop the fight or take control of the fight if it was happening around them. Mm. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when navigating an issue in relationship? Often in an argument, we are triggered and going into a fight response. And when we're in a fight response, we are experiencing the person opposite from us as a threat. And even though we might know them well, and know that they are a safe person, we are just seeing a threat in front of us. So even my husband, who I know to be very safe and calming most of the time, uh, when he brings something up that's a trigger for me, I don't have conscious awareness anymore that this is my husband and it's going to be okay and he is a safe person. I am just responding to the threat. Um, and so often we just go with that and have the argument and probably calm down later and then talk about it. What we actually need to do when we're in a fight response um, is not have the argument right then and there. Um, when our brains are flooded, we need time to, uh, to suppress the flooding or allow the flooding to slow down. Mm. And so the best thing we can possibly do when we notice that we're just starting to get flooded or we're just starting to go into that fight response is to actually pause and take a time out uh, separate from 
the other person for about 20 minutes and then come back together and talk about the thing you were going to talk about. Um, because when we're flooded and when we're in fight response, the argument is not going to be productive and it can actually make things a lot worse. If someone is listening to this thinking or recognizing that they argue a lot, what are some questions they can ask themselves to change that? I think to start with, um, what from my history is causing me to be argumentative? Um, Likely there's a reason that they're getting into a lot of arguments. And often we think that stems from the present or it stems from the people that we're interacting with. And it's a lot harder to take it in that it could actually be something with me and not with them. And so the first step is to check inside and notice what it could be about your history that's causing you to be argumentative. The second thing to check in with is um, if you're able to reflect, noticing what language you're using during arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are noticing that you're pinning it often on the other person or you're not expressing it from a place of um, like, I feel um Instead, you're saying things a lot more like you make me, um, I guess you language instead of I language. That is definitely a recipe for arguments to escalate. And Mm -hmm. so if you're able to notice what language you're using and possibly shift that language to I language and start instead of you language, that could be a huge way to suppress um, your argumentative parts. Um, The other thing that I would check in on is how are you meeting your needs? Because a lot of times what we don't realize is that when we are uncomfortable, we are actually a lot more likely to argue. Like when I am hangry, I'm a lot more likely to get in an argument than if I have had my water, I've had my coffee, I've had my breakfast. Um, But if I'm hangry, I've not met a need for myself. And so uh, I'm much more likely to get in an argument because I'm uncomfortable. So those are a few things to start examining when you're looking into why you might be an argumentative person. What are some ways then we can navigate conflict in a romantic partnership outside of saying I rather than you? Are there any other tangible tips or tricks you would recommend being the expert? Definitely. Um, So one thing to look at is most couples have an argument pattern. A lot of times when we really look at how our arguments are showing up in romantic relationships, we see sort of a dance to it. Um, And often there are much more underlying issues than 
what the arguments are actually about. Usually when people come into couples therapy, so often they'll say that they're coming in to work on their communication. And then we find out there's been these major ruptures in the relationship that just haven't been talked about. And so it's very likely that the arguments are a factor of these bigger pieces that are going on in the relationship. Um, just like how I spoke about meeting your needs in terms of comfort, like making sure that you are fed and hydrated um, in partnerships, we have much greater needs that uh, we need from our partners. And a lot of times these arguments that can look one way on the surface are actually about needs that aren't being met in the relationship. Um, and so it's really helpful to dive a little deeper into what's going on and really ask yourself um, what the arguments are really about. It's sort of like peeling an onion. Um, mm -hmm. There are so many deeper cuts underneath the surface that are coming out in smaller arguments. I have read that couples writing down each other's triggers is good why is this such a powerful exercise and what do you do once you have carried this out what's the next step that's a great question and it's true that writing down your partner's triggers is really helpful um so our triggers usually come from our history and with partnerships um we're taking on a lot from our family histories, even though we're in a romantic relationship and it's not the same as a family relationship. We're taking on what we saw, um, if we even saw romantic relationships growing up, uh, what we saw from our caregivers, how our caregivers met our needs. Um, and so history comes very much into play in our romantic partnerships. Mm -hmm. When we know our partner's triggers, we're better able to know this isn't about me when they're getting upset about certain things. Um, because we are very much likely to take on the blame when our partner is getting upset with us. Um, it's uncomfortable to have somebody who's upset with you, especially somebody that you care deeply about. And when we take on the blame, often we go into a shame space. In a shame space, we're likely to either shut down or fight back. Um, and so when I know my partner's triggers, um, should I accidentally uh, set one off? I can let myself know like, okay, this isn't about me. Um, and I can let my partner know I didn't mean to say that or do that. Um, and when we know our partner's triggers, we can better avoid them. Um, we can also help our partner move through the trigger instead of having it as um, they've been triggered and I'm reacting to it. Um, when you have two reactive people, you have two dysregulated people. 
if at least one person can stay regulated and sort of be the calm in the storm, it's a great way to avoid an argument and to take care of your partner. Often conflict arises, as you have pointed out, because we don't know each other's needs. But a problem can obviously be not knowing your individual needs. So is there an exercise or anything you recommend that we can do to figure out what our personal needs are? So we first want to start out with how we're meeting our basic needs, because we can't go beyond uh, basic needs to knowing our greater needs um, until we have our basic needs met. So our basic needs would be like food, shelter, comfort, uh, getting enough sleep, stuff like that. Um, And then, especially in a partnership, um, it's really important to know your sexual needs um, because that's important to uh, connecting with your partner. Uh, You need to know your social needs beyond the relationship. Like uh, if your partner is somebody who tends toward needing more alone time or tends toward needing more time with friends um, and their emotional needs. So for emotional needs, uh, that would be like the ways that they like to connect with you emotionally, the ways that they like to connect with themselves emotionally. Um, And so it's good to sort of pay attention, um, like even consciously throughout the week. Um, If you take one week to really focus on uh, knowing how you feel when your needs are being met and then noticing how you feel in the absence of your needs being met, that's a good way to check in with yourself and even keeping a journal of it. Um, And then to come back together and share with your partner what you discovered throughout the week, really paying attention to your needs. And then in partnerships, it's all about negotiation. Mm -hmm. Um, There will be times when your needs are not fully able to be met because of outside commitments or because it might be a week where um, you're leaning more into your partner's needs than your own. And so if there are times where your needs are not as able to be met, um, you can come back together to figure out how you can sort of fill up your, your bank, your emotional piggy bank for those needs. So that at times when they're not as able to be met, um, it doesn't feel like it causes a disconnect or a rupture in the relationship. Um, because you, feel secure in knowing that your needs will get met. How much is too much arguing? That is a good question. I would say for anything, if it's to the point where it's causing distress, um, it is too much. So that gauge will be different for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so first, like <laughs> my husband has always said he came from a yelling household. So he's very comfortable with argument. Um, I am not comfortable with argument and conflict. And so throughout our relationship, we have really worked on um, shifting from a place of argument to healthy debate um, mm. because he enjoys having conversations where we share opposing views. And so uh, we don't have to have arguments as much. We can have healthy debates and that's a lot more comfortable um, instead of having stupid arguments about stupid things. Um, always, if an argument is turning or if, if arguments are turning physically or emotionally violent, um, then it's definitely too much arguing. Um, and that's to an unhealthy and unsafe place. Um, I think it's important to say healthy relationships have conflict. Mm -hmm. um, there, there should be some sort of conflict in relationships. However, we can learn to navigate conflict in a healthy way and conflict doesn't necessarily have to turn into arguments. Um, so if you're noticing that you're having so many arguments um, that it's negatively impacting your life, that it's feeling uncomfortable for yourself and for others, um, that's a great time to maybe seek therapy, whether it's individual to find out what's happening within you that's causing the arguments, or um, if it's arguments with a partner or family member, you can seek uh, couples therapy or families, family therapy to explore more about the arguments. You obviously said that to a degree you need some conflict in a relationship. Can I ask why? Um, so conflict is a sign of healthy relationship. Um, when you have some sort of conflict, and when I say conflict, I mean not physically or emotionally violent. Um, so when we, when we are able to have conflict in a relationship, uh, it can be a sign of safety in a relationship. Um, often what we'll see with young kids is that at school, kids will be very well behaved. And then when they come home, that's when they have their tantrums. Um, so that's a sign that a child feels safe with you and feels safe at home. Now, this is just a metaphor. You don't want to be having tantrums with your partner. Um, but when you're able to have healthy conflict with your partner, where you're able to speak to your needs and speak to your differing points, that's a sign that you feel safe in the relationship and that the relationship is healthy. Um, you shouldn't agree on everything. Mm -hmm. um, you should have differing needs from your partner. 
And it's healthy to be able to speak to those um, and learn how to speak to those without having it be an argument or a situation where it turns into threat or feeling unsafe. What is some vocabulary we should not be using during arguments? Are there any particular words being an expert or phrases you would say under no circumstance should you even be saying the following? Well, we probably want to stay away from curse words Mm -hmm. um, because those can feel violent and uh, escalate arguments. Um, More so than what we don't want to say, I want to speak a little to what we should say because I think this is Mm -hmm. a really healthy framework. So there is um, a framework called nonviolent communication. It is a really wonderful way of learning how to uh, have healthy conflict and speak to your needs. Um, So in nonviolent communication, um, we say, I feel blank. Um, So I might say like, um, if if I was feeling um, distressed because it felt like my partner was wanting to go out with his friends a lot and I was feeling left behind, um, I would say, um, I feel disappointed. And then the next piece is when you blank. So uh, when you go out with your friends um, and then you make a request. So you're speaking to a way that um, the person could shift their behavior um, in a way that would make you feel better. So um, you would say, would you be willing to, and then offer a shift that they could do. So in this case, I might say like, would you be willing to see your friends once a week instead of several times a week? And then uh, the person would respond by either accepting the request or making a shift to that request. Um, This framework is not super easy to implement when you're used to arguing. Um, And I highly recommend reading more about nonviolent communication because I think it's such a wonderful concept. Um, And this is just a little slice of it that's easy to bring to the podcast. Um, But it's a really nice way to start speaking to uh, what your needs are um, and learning to ask for those needs to be met um, and uh, accept it when the ask can't be fully met. It sort of brings up a way to start negotiating and uh, deal with conflict in a way that's not argumentative. And for anyone listening in who doesn't like arguing, I'm one of those people. I don't enjoy conflict. I pride myself on being an efficient communicator. I'm very much a talker. I would rather sit down and talk about an issue. I have a personal three-step kind of rule that I or a pattern 
a framework that I use, which I've never read about, but I just figured that or found out, really discovered that it really works for me, that if I'm sharing how I feel, I will say I feel blank because blank to move forward, this needs to happen, X needs to happen. That's kind of the framework that I use because I don't enjoy arguing or conflict, even though some people really try to (laughs) bring that side out of me. So for anyone listening in relating to that, what boundaries can you set with a partner or even a friend? Because I have found this in friendship as well, that even though I personally don't use curse words, swear words, I don't yell. I'm not a shouter. I don't like conflict. Many of my friends are those things. So when you disagree on something, it's a problem. So what boundaries can you set with a partner or a friend so you don't argue? And is there any specific language you can use there to almost diffuse the situation without it, you know, escalating or them feeling that you're dismissing their view because you're not willing to engage in this argument? I love your approach. Um, And I am very much with you that I do not like arguments or conflict. Um, So I would much rather handle it in a peaceful way. Um, I would say it's helpful to set a boundary that um, like I've noticed that we get in arguments or conflict often and I'm not comfortable with the way we've been arguing, Mm -hmm. um, I am not willing to sit for arguments um, anymore because it's been happening too frequently. Uh, Can we figure out a better way to talk to each other that's not argumentative? Um, So literally just setting a boundary that you will not be spoken to that way and you're not going to uh, continue um, to have arguments with them or be a part of the arguments. Um, I think there are also ways that you can set boundaries that sort of offer um, strategies to avoid arguments. Um, Like if you, if there is something that's sort of a heated topic that you know that you need to talk about with somebody, um, it might be helpful to first um, send a text to say, hey, I know we need to have a conversation about this. Um, I know it's something that, uh, that could be triggering or heated. Um, when would be the best time to discuss this or how would be the best way to discuss this? Um, Because sometimes we need to shift the way that we're having these conversations so that um, it doesn't set off triggers in ourselves or in somebody else. Um, Like some people need time to sort of prepare for a heated conversation. Um, I know, I'm somebody with a slower processing time um, and I wouldn't be the one to start an argument. I would, like I said, I would be the one to be more uncomfortable with it. But I know that if I'm having 
a conversation that could get heated with somebody, I want to have time to gather my thoughts beforehand um, so that it's not something that triggers me when I'm in the conversation. And so we can sort of set the boundaries for how we're having those conversations um, and what works best for our communication style and for the communication style of the person we'll be talking to. When do you know when it's the time to leave a relationship? Because obviously there tends to be a period where you're arguing a lot, you're disputing a lot, being an expert in this field, when would you say is the time to leave the relationship? So I would say, first of all, um, definitely if there is, like I said before, any emotional or physical violence Um, that means the relationship is unsafe. Um, and, uh, of course in any relationship with intimate partner violence, there has to be a lot of strategizing around how to leave, but that's an absolute, um, with leaving a relationship. Um, now A lot of repair can happen through couples therapy. Um, And we haven't talked about it yet, but the most important piece in arguments and conflict is that there is repair between the partners or the people arguing. Um, And so when arguments and conflict are left without repair, Um, It's almost like these arguments build like scar tissue, just one on top of the other. Um, When arguments have been built up without the repair for a prolonged period of time, it's really hard to come back from that. Um, And so if you're noticing that even if there's not emotional or physical violence in the relationship, but there's a lack of feeling safe with your partner. Um, Just a safety to exist with your partner. Mm -hmm. I would say that's when it's really hard to come back from it. Um, As I said, I'm a full believer in couples therapy. And I think there is so much to be learned about how to have conflict and how to offer repair to a partner. And so I do think um, you can come back from it, even if you have an argumentative relationship. Um, However, it is very hard to come back from it when there's no longer a sense of safety. So Mm -hmm. that's what I would say would be a big cue. Do you think we pick up our argument style from our childhoods? Absolutely. I think so much is influenced by uh, what we witness and experience growing up. Um, Often what I see is either folks will do the exact opposite of what they saw in their families, 
Um, or even if you come from a very argumentative family um, in the face of an argument, what might happen is um, instead of your threat response going into a fight response where you sort of meet the other person where they're at, um, you might shut down because that was your defense as a child. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I either see usually folks who follow in their family's footsteps and argue in the same way that their parents argued, or I see that they do the opposite of what their parents did, probably because that was the same response that they had as a child when they were around the arguing. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, that's almost a mic drop moment. That's, <laughs> I also end the podcast with two questions, Elise. The first being, what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? So I am at, this is probably out of left field, um, but I am an avid fan of the Real Housewives. Um, and so what's coming to mind right now, um, because I've been thinking about a lot how uh, I would like, uh, how people often, when they're asked how they're doing, they don't respond honestly. Mm. Um, instead, we're, we usually just say like, oh, I'm okay, or I'm good. And so in the words of Dorinda Medley. I think my quote for right now is, um, I'll tell you how I'm doing. Not well, bitch. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just wish more people would be honest about how they're doing. That's very good. And finally, what books or podcasts would you recommend on this subject? So definitely um, the books on nonviolent communication. Um, I would say that um, on Brene Brown's podcast, she has had some great episodes on conflict um, and especially about because um, she's the shame researcher. So she has a lot um, on conflict in relation to shame. Uh, a podcast that has some really good insight, especially in bringing about um, attachment styles and how we argue is the Therapist Uncensored podcast. Um, and if you want to hear more about how the Real Housewives are arguing, um, Danny Pellegrino, Everything Iconic is a great one just for fun. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Elise, for coming on to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clark, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organization, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.